But I want to say to you, uh, uh, failure to plan is a plan to fail. I've known preachers that said, you know, I take the Bible on Sunday and I just open it up and wherever it falls to is what I preach on. Y'all ever heard that? I don't doubt that God's spirit could work in that fashion, but I will tell you this, I believe he gives us a brain to use before the time to preach. I think he gives us a brain to use to plan and to utilize our resources in the best way that we can. And I see that in Scripture. You know, it's funny, as we come to this Commitment Sunday, it kind of brings together uh, the two major thrusts of my academic career. And my master's thesis was on financial planning for ministers, and my doctoral program was on uh, facilitating pastoral transition through expository preaching through Nehemiah. Nehemiah is where I want us to look today to see this amazing story of planning that God shows us. And I think he gives us a model uh, for what we should do as we lead the church. As I say, a failure to plan is a plan to fail. We have, in the nine years that I've been here, wanted to seek God's guidance. We believe that it was the duty of the leaders uh, to seek God's vision for what would come. In the Old Testament, it tells us where there is no vision, the people perish. And listen, these are tough times for the church. 2005, 10 years ago, Barner Research studied all over the United States. They did a survey, and, and they found out of 420,000 churches that uh, over 80% of them were dying or stagnant in growth. Just ten, five years later, 2010, that number had dropped dramatically the 320,000 churches still in existence in America. And out of those, 80% were dying or stagnant growth. 2013, three years later, two years back from today, less than 300,000 churches remained in the United States of America. Now, we bucked that trend, I think, because God's grace and because we have sought his planning Several years ago, our leaders, our elders, our ministers, we, we met together and prayed and sought God's direction and, uh, about what we should do to, to continue to grow this church forward. Our mission is simple. It is to lead people to Jesus and equip them to follow him because we believe that's what the New Testament Great Commission says to us. Our job, the main thing for us is to make and multiply disciples of Jesus. And so how do we do that? In those meetings, we came up with a plan to add a third worship service, and we did that in August 2013. Now I can't remember not doing three services. We decided to go through the story to help our people see the, the thread of redemption that goes from Genesis to Revelation, to help them understand more of how all the Bible fits together. We finished that in May of this year. And we also decided we need to explore the possibility that, that maybe we'll need more facilities, and, and we've seen that to be true. Now, Nehemiah's story is a little different, but a lot the same. Nehemiah found himself in exile. Uh, you know the story, if you read the Old Testament, uh, several different times the people of Israel found themselves, because of their sin, in a position of exile. <clears throat> in this story in Nehemiah, uh, by now the foreign power that dominates them is, uh, is the Persian Empire. And Nehemiah finds himself working under the, 
uh, as a cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. Now, cupbearer was a very important position, very trusted position. The cupbearer tasted all of the, the drink that came to the king. The cupbearer tasted all the food that came to the king. It was a very important position, but it was expendable because the cupbearer would taste if something was poisoned, the poison before the king, and we'll sacrifice the cupbearer. But that was the position Nehemiah found himself in, a very trusted position. But Nehemiah knew of his homeland. He knew of the great holy city, Jerusalem. He knew, but he hadn't heard quite so much about how desperate, how drab it was, how, how the, the kingdom of God had fallen so far. And so we find him as he begins to make a plan to, to rebuild with God's direction, with God's help, as he begins to to see the need to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and to rebuild the holy city of Jerusalem, we begin to see that the first step is he assesses the need. If we want to, in our own lives, plan in a masterful way, if we want to allow God to lead us in planning our lives, my first suggestion is we assess the need. That's what we did as leaders That's what I encourage you to do as you look into your life about the direction of the future. If you want it to be led by the master, then then assess the need. And that's what Nehemiah does. Verses 1 through 4 tell us uh, of the the situation as he finds it at the beginning. The words of Nehemiah, son of Halkalah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, when I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down (coughs) and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. (coughs) Now what's the big deal? The walls are burned down. In those times, the city's walls represented security. The city's walls represented prosperity. Uh, The the best cities had the strongest walls. The best cities protected their people the best. They looked out for the needs of their people the best. In Jerusalem, because of the sin of previous generations, they have desperate times. The walls are broken down. Now, I would suggest to you, as I did my study on Nehemiah, something very important. At the book of Nehemiah, you might read it on the surface and you think it's all about the physical rebuilding of the walls. But I would argue that it is about the spiritual rebuilding of the people, of the kingdom of God. God is always first interested in our spirits. The physical stuff is secondary. The physical stuff If you're growing, if you're in the right place spiritually, the physical stuff takes care of itself. And we find that here. But Nehemiah sees this need and it moves him and he he fasts and he prays. Assessing the needs of your life need to involve prayer. That's why one of our teams in this campaign has been a prayer team. You know, it was really cool this weekend Friday through Saturday, we had a a 24-hour prayer vigil. And all of those slots, a 24-hour period straight, 30 minutes at a time, were covered by people in our body. You know, I waited till the end, 
if there are any slots I was going to fill my name in, and there were no slots left. How cool is that? We've been praying for three or four years about what would come today. Nehemiah fasts and he prays. He assesses the need spiritually. And then he does a physical examination on into chapter 2, verse 11. <clears throat> I went to Jerusalem after staying there three days. I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. <clears throat> By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on to the fountain gate in the king's pool, but there's not enough room for my mount to get in or get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back in and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know what I'd, where I'd gone or what I was doing. Because as yet, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. He assessed the need. He thought about it. He contemplated. He meditated on it himself. He prayed for God to lead him. He meditated and assessed the situation. In the New Testament, there's this concept that Jesus gives us, very important for us to hear, that we're not to just impulsively do things. We're to count the cost before we commit to anything. We're to consider what the costs are, and, and we're to, to make sure we're able to take on that challenge. That's what he's saying. That's assessing the need. That's planning by anal analyzing what's going on. It's planning by praying and letting the Lord lead us in which door to go through and which way, uh, which way to take. Assessing the need is the first step in masterful planning. Second step is to ask for help. It's to ask for help. Now, in our culture, America, we're, we're, we're acculturated to be independent. We have this ideal of the, the strong, macho man who does everything by himself and doesn't ask for help. A scripture is not like that. <clears throat> Already, Nehemiah has asked for help with God. I didn't have time to show you today, but I would encourage you through this week to read the latter half of chapter 1. It is a beautiful prayer by Nehemiah to God, in which he asks for God's help. He asks, he lays himself before God and says, I'm your servant, help, help me, Lord, in the direction we're to take. But then we see he understands that it's not just about him. He can't do what needs to be done to rebuild Jerusalem by himself. Even more, it was always meant to be the nation of Israel working together. So he's going to lead the nation and bring the nation back together. And that's exactly how churches work best. It's not the efforts of one person or a couple of people. It is all of us pulling together. It's all of us seeing the need. All of us pulling together and doing what needs to be done. Notice what Nehemiah does. Now, I told you he was cupbearer to the king. He's assessed the need, and now he asks for help first from his boss. Now, he had to have the permission of this foreign king to do any work, and it's a very perilous proposition to ask the king for help. Very easily, the king could have said, well, you wanted to leave my service, then off with your head, literally. It, 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 he was putting his life on the line. 
But this is what we find in, ne in Nehemiah chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, by the way, three months between when Hanani, his brother, first told him about the problem, he warned and fasted and prayed, three months between there and when he comes to the king, not always are we to act right away on impulse. We wait for the Lord's direction, his timing. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. <clears throat> I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. <coughs> Nehemiah says, well, that went well, so I have another question. If it pleases the king... May I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy? And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governor of Trans-Euphrates, the governors, and gave them the king's letters the king had also sent all army officers in Calvary with me. Now, first of all, teenagers, this is not a model for you. If you ask for one thing and you get it, you don't keep pushing it, okay? <clears throat> but two, what I want you to see here is that he has prayed and, and allowed God to lead him through all this beforehand and even as he's in the moment. He's seeking God's direction in this. And so he, he brings those requests. Now, what's he asking for? He needs supplies. He also needs protection to make that journey from Susa all the way down to Jerusalem, about 800 miles. And he gets that. The king provides that for him. Why? Because we'll see later there are enemies. There are people who don't want Jerusalem rebuilt. The enemy nations around them don't want Jerusalem rebuilt. They don't want Israel back to its glory days. So there's a lot of opposition. But you see here, he depends and he asks for help from the king, and the king provides it. The same thing needs to happen with us and has happened with us. I will tell you, uh, I assess the needs along with the other elders and we, uh, the other leaders, and we, we saw that how the, the, the Lord was blessing us. We continue to grow here. Unlike those other churches that are stagnant, dying, and growth, we've continued to, to be blessed, I think, because we're focused on the mission and we seek God's leadership. But in doing that, we saw that we were running out of space for our children's ministries, our preschool and our elementary ministries. And so we asked the Lord, what, what can we do to, to make more room? What can we do to fit more people in? And we've done a lot of those things. But we're to the point where we're, we're cramming kids in where it's unsafe, especially in the spring and the fall when we have our biggest attendances. Uh, we, we need more space, and we believe God has showed us it is the time uh, to ask for help. We've asked him, and he said yes to us 
as a group praying, uh, to our board praying, to our congregation praying. And when the uh, consultant came in, they surveyed and interviewed our congregation. 85% of the group here said, we believe we need a children and youth building at this time. So we've asked for help. Now we're asking for help as, as we come to this commitment Sunday of all of our body uh, to see what we can do, to count the cost, to see how we can provide this facility. But remember, just like in Nehemiah, it's not really about the physical rebuilding. I would encourage you to understand it is really not about the physical building that we're here today. If we are growing as God's people, then the stuff will come. The building will be a tool to reach people who aren't here yet, to reach children who aren't here yet. Now, if we build space for our children and uh, the younger children, it's going to open up more space for our junior high and senior high. We haven't liked having our junior high across the parking lot in the White House. We'll move them back over to this building. We haven't liked having them spread out like they are the preschool and the elementary. Now they'll be together. It'll benefit us in a lot of different ways, even through our adult Bible study classes that meet. But all of this for you to understand we ask the Lord, and we want to grow spiritually, because when we grow spiritually, as Matthew 6.33 says, if we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be provided. Ask for God's help. We've been encouraging to do that. We'll continue to do that. Third, if we want to be masterful planners, we need to anticipate challenges. We need to anticipate challenges. As we began this process and this campaign, we knew that perhaps it would be off-putting to some. And because of the excesses of other uh, groups, uh, spiritual groups, we know that sometimes people are conditioned to think that it's all about the money. Well, as I said to you, it's not. It's about the spirit. And I think God has, we've seen that. God has blessed us because of that. I will tell you going forward, it will continue to be about growing spiritually. It's not about the money. But I will tell you, if we are growing spiritually, we're going to understand the, the concept of biblical stewardship. We understand that all this around us is not ours. It's God's. He loans it to us for a little while. And we give back to God out of our love and worship. As we grow, we see that we want to be more giving and generous like he is to us. But anticipate challenge. Yes, there'll be some of that nature that some people will think we're just in it for the money. That's not what it's about. Others will think, and perhaps we will see there will be problems with uh, regulations and compliance as we build. The physical construction will be a headache as things are torn up for a while. Uh, but all of that we can see coming. And understand that if God led us into this, then he will take us through it. He will provide for us through it. Nehemiah knew there would be challenges. Verse 10, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, you got that scripture? Uh, they heard about this. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Again, rival groups around them. And then down to verse 20, or 19 rather. Yeah, verse 19. It says, but when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? They asked, are you rebelling against the king? See, they're pretty sly. They put it in that way, uh, that you're 
it, we're going to tell the boss, well, he's already got his permission, right? And so their opposition is because their position was threatened. Opposition challenges will come as you plan, as you seek and let the Lord lead you in your planning uh, and understand those hurdles will come. And finally, <clears throat> very important for you to hear this, chapter 2 concludes with verse 20. Verse 20 says to me, accomplish for God, with God. Always check your motives. Always it needs to be about God's glory and not your own. It's why we don't have any people's names on our buildings here or on our chairs here. It's about God. It's not Sid's church or the elders' church. It is the church of Jesus Christ that we are a part of. And understand this, that as we've sought God's direction, we want it to be for God's glory. We want to do what God has for us to do because we know what a difference it'll make. The church is the only human organization that exists for people who aren't here yet. Think about it. How many people, if we're faithful to God, how many people's lives will be changed? Like some in the testimonies you've heard, not just today, but in the last weeks. One of the great benefits of these home meetings we did was to see what a difference this church has made and what a difference we can continue to make. Accomplish for God, with God. Nehemiah says to his critics, I answer them by saying the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Basically, he's saying, you probably ought to get on board with God now. But if not, you do your own thing. As for me and my house... We're going to serve the Lord, like Joshua says. As for us, we're going to do what God will have us to do, and God will bring the victory. And I believe that. You know, several times the consultant said, you know, preachers, the senior minister gains 10 pounds during a campaign, and senior minister gets stressed out, and gets an ulcer, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I haven't even heard that. Why? Because I think if God's in it, it's going to happen. I think God's in it. It will be blessed. And so we trust him in that. But we are asking you uh, today, hopefully you've prayed about this, you've been thinking about us. We're asking you to tell us how you can help us financially going forward. Obviously, we covet your prayers. We covet your service, your ministry service for our body as we grow forward. But we're asking you what you can do in addition to what you already do financially. And unabashedly, I ask that because financial stewardship, learning to sacrifice financially unlocks blessings from God that maybe we never knew could be possible. Maybe today you brought this. This is a, a pledge card. It was in a packet that we mailed out. Now, not everybody perhaps got a packet. There are extras back. Or if you're new to us and you don't know what I'm talking about, these packets are back there. And this commitment we're about to do is not for you. I want you to, to get one of these packets and look through it and pray about it. We are asking with these cards to get a pledge if you're ready to do that today and also to get a prayer uh, card if you want to write a prayer for our campaign. Now, let me make sure you understand. On the back, 
is a table of giving. And the Old Testament principle was that people would give a tithe, a tenth of their income. The New Testament shows us that a tenth was probably the, the minimum people were to give. But I understand. I was there. When I first came to Christ, I probably gave a half a percent of my income. Because that's where I was spiritually. I want you to, to seek God's guidance in this. And I also want you to understand this is cumulative. Let me understand how this process, or let me tell you how this process is going to work. For the next three years, you, if you choose, if God leads you to help us, then you'll give a campaign check or offering that it will, you will note journey on it. And your regular offering you will do separately. And so what we're saying to you is not perhaps unless the Lord leads you to, to, to give 10% more if you're already giving 10%. But I want to make sure you understand that as you make your pledge. We're going to take a few minutes here and, and allow you to, to pray a couple minutes. And uh, then our ushers will come and pass the offering plates again to collect these prayer and the pledge cards. And I can't say enough, we need your prayers as much or more than your pledges. But I want to close by saying this one thing. It really touched me on Friday. Wallace Collett, our elder emeritus here, founding member of the church, had surgery. And I was visiting with him and his son Aaron, who's an elder now. And Wallace said a couple things. He said, one, I don't think I'm going to make it to give my pledge, but I'm going to pledge. Now, Wallace is in his middle 80s, and he's still thinking about the Lord's work. That's why he's an elder emeritus. Two, he said to me, when I come to church, I don't know anybody. And he said that ruefully because Wallace loves people, and he would love to know every one of you. But he also said it to recognize that God's work is a dynamic process, and that God brings, if we sacrifice, if we invest, if we commit, God brings people we haven't imagined will come to be here, to grow them and to change their lives. How amazing. Our worship team's going to sing, but you want, I want you to sit there and pray and, and think about what you want to, to commit. And then as you're ready, you can stand and sing if you're ready for that. Uh, but the ushers will come in a couple minutes. We'll have a couple minutes where they won't come, and, and then they'll pass through the aisles, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time <clears throat> to come together. I thank you for your blessing of our church through the years. <clears throat> Wallace and many have sacrificed to bring us to where we are. And Lord, we know the days in front of us are a challenge. But we also know that with you, we are unstoppable. I pray, Father, that this will be a time of tremendous growth spiritually for each of us as we commit. Let you plan our days is my prayer. That you would be our masterful planner. We would fall in line. That you would bless us and use us to be a blessing to others. Now as we have prayed about what to commit, I pray that it's not out of guilt 
that we give. I pray that it's out of hearing your voice. It's out of letting you lead us. I pray, Father, that you will bring more and more here who don't know you. And that we will be up to the task of leading them to you and equipping them to follow you. I pray in Jesus' name.